Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. All right, good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is a joy to be with you today, uh, worshiping and making much of Jesus. Um, We're continuing our series today uh, called The Scripture, A Guide to Understanding the Bible. Uh, and so let me just catch you up. Uh, if maybe you've forgotten, you've been here every week, but you're having trouble kind of remembering a few key things. Uh, maybe uh, this is your first time joining us. I can catch you up in just a few, few minutes. Uh, we said uh, that the Bible is this. The Bible is a God-inspired collection of historical narratives, poems, law, prophecies, letters, wisdom literature, and apocalyptic literature that form a single unified story that points to Jesus. You guys remember that? It's a big idea. It's kind of been the big idea throughout the entire series. Last week, uh, we got four rules or four principles from Dan Kimball on how we should read and understand the Bible. So let's go over those real quick. Number one, the Bible is a library, not a book, right? And so we said the Bible is actually a collection of a lot of different literary works, uh, from a lot of different, uh, different time periods, different genres, different lit- uh, literary styles. Then each book falls in a different place in the timeline of Scripture, and that's important for us to remember as we read. And so we're going to read the Psalms, which are poetry different than we're going to read Luke's Gospel, which is a historical narrative. You remember that? So when you open the Bible, remember it's a library. It's a collection of works. It's not a single book. The second thing we said is the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Uh, That the Bible is absolutely for us. That the truths it contains are life-changing for us, vital for us. We need it, but we're not the original audience. Uh, That we have to set the Bible in its context and try to understand how the original audience would have heard what was written. Third, we said never read a Bible verse, uh, which was my personal favorite a rule. Uh, some of you gasped out loud last week when I said that one, never read a Bible verse. So what do we mean? We mean that the Bible's contextual, uh, that we want to read even single verses in the context which it's in. So we want to read entire paragraphs at least, chapters, books, that sort of thing. And then fourth, all the Bible points to Jesus. We said that Jesus' is life, death, and resurrection are the climax of the biblical story. And so we need to read the Bible like it's the climax, like that is the key event that helps us understand everything else in the Scripture. Now, I have to apologize to you because last week I used an illustration uh, from a pretty rough R-rated movie, Fight Club, and, um, and you guys were great with that. Uh, and then immediately following the service and for the rest of the week, I got several suggestions on movies that would have been better. Uh, the Sixth Sense was one. They're like, yo, uh... This would have been kind of PG-13. You know, at least you like jumped in the deep end, Brandon. And so um, thank you for being patient uh, with my terrible movie choices. Next time, I'm going to ask you guys ahead of time for better suggestions. Uh, and so I appreciate those suggestions. We'll do, it, we'll do it better next time. Now, here's what I'm imagining. We've spent several weeks talking about what the Bible is, how to read it, how not to read it. I, I'm imagining that some of us are feeling a little overwhelmed. Right, like, have I been doing this wrong? Am I doing it right? How should I engage with the Bible? I understand that feeling. Uh, some of you know that 
For the first, I don't know, five or so years of us planting Mercy Hill, uh, I had a second job uh, doing appraisals for an insurance company. Um, and in case you don't know, uh, when I started that job, I had um, exactly zero amount of experience in insurance. Uh, I'm not a car guy. Uh, and so uh, it was quite a steep learning curve for me. Uh, initially, I was just taking pictures, and I would take pictures, and somebody else would write the estimates. Uh, and then my boss asked me to start writing estimates, and I was like, great. And so he gave me some training on how to do it. And uh, I was like, I, I don't think you know who you're asking to do this, um, because like, I don't even know what a quarter panel is. Like, much less what the center pillar or a rocker, I don't know. I don't know what these are. Uh, and so luckily, our software had these exploded diagrams of cars, and I would literally, I taught myself by just like looking at the picture on my phone and going like, I think that's it. And my boss, I could always call him and ask questions, um, but I would feel overwhelmed. The most exposed and overwhelmed that I would feel, however, was not when I was at home trying to figure everything. It would be at a body shop. When someone who does this every single day would be like, hey, man, what do you think about this? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. What are you, what are you thinking about that? You know what I mean? Like, what are, you, what are you guys thinking? You know what I mean? Yeah, or, or they would say, like, the name of part of a car. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, and I would kind of start to look this way, and they'd be like, hey, like, over, over here? You know what I mean? Like, like, right, right, I was just checking out the uh, inline on the specs of the rotary girder. You know, like, I don't know, like, just kind of making it up. And so imagine for some of us, Reading the Bible kind of can feel like that, overwhelming. I'm not really sure what I'm doing or how I'm supposed to do this correctly. So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, I'm going to help you. We're going to talk about four steps, four very simple steps that everybody here can do to help you be able to study and understand the Bible. Does that make sense? This process is the process of biblical interpretation. Here's what we mean by interpretation. What we mean is very simply, a verbal or written or mental expression of the reader's understanding of the meaning of the original text. That's what we mean, right? Do, do you remember maybe parents, uh, you've done this, or, or maybe you've experienced this in a classroom when a teacher or a parent has said like, hey, okay, now repeat that back to me in your own words, right? What are we looking for? Understanding. Do you understand it? And so when we engage in this thing called interpretation, that's what we're doing. We're trying to figure out, do we understand the meaning of this particular text of the Bible? Now, good biblical interpretation means that the meaning that we come up with lines up with the original author's original intent, right? And that's what we're going for. We're trying to figure out not necessarily what does this mean to me, but what does it mean independent of me? Let me, um, let me give you a, an illustration. All right, we're trying something new today. I'm gonna try to draw some pictures. Everybody cool with drawing some pictures? All right. Good gracious, here we go. Can you guess? Yeah, okay, so those are my notes. That's what I preach from, I know. You're like, bro, you, oh, um, Let's try this again. All right, here we go. Um, so I drew these earlier. These are two cliffs, right? 
What do you guys think? Does it look, look good? My wife's being very supportive. Some of you are like, that's, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. All right, so when we do interpretation, really what we're talking about is a gap, right? A gap. There is a gap between 2022 in the United States and first century. So let's just think about when Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. What are some differences? This is group participation. If you're watching online, you participate too. Joel maybe can shout out some of your answers. But what are the differences between where we currently live and the first century that you might know about? Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's some, uh, some major technological differences, right? So we've got some technological advancement over here. What about like transportation? Yeah, so we're driving cars. What do they have? Like camels and maybe some chariots, right? And some sandals, right? What else we got? Yeah, AC. We got some air conditioning. They got no AC. Bad news, right? What else? Some differences. Food trucks. Yeah, food. Our food is going to be very different, right? It's a food gap. What? What about um, the president? Yeah. Okay, this is good. A totally different form of government. So, what are we talking about? First century. Yeah, the Roman Empire. You guys got that. And what we got? Democracy? Yeah, they don't know anything about democracy, right? Yeah, what else? Music is different. That's right. What's that? Devin? Electricity. Yep, electricity. They're not experiencing electricity. Uh, we talk about communication, right? And so we all got like our iPhones or our Galaxies, you know, like in our pockets, and they're like parchment paper. Right. Yeah. We, we, that's right. We have the new, we have the entirety of the New Testament. They did not. We have, let's see, Old, Old Testament and New. They just have the Old Testament. Well, what? View of women. All right. Uh, the role of uh, women might be different. There's some major uh, school. Schooling is different, right? School is different. All right, man, we got a lot of stuff going on here. So there's some gaps, right? We didn't talk about the most obvious. Uh, so Jesus, when he taught, he taught it in Aramaic, right? And then is later recorded in Greek. What language do we speak? Most of us sometimes. So there's a major gap, right? And so here's what we're doing when we do interpretation. What we're working on is building a bridge from one cliff to the other, right? We're filling in the gap. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, what are some things that are the same? Has God, God's character changed? Right? Jesus? Still alive, right? Holy Spirit? That God reveals himself, has that changed? Right, you see what I'm saying? There's a whole list of things that are on both sides. And so when prayer, yeah, that's good, prayer. And so when we do interpretation, what we're doing is really, we're just building a bridge. Does that make sense? Here's my bridge, 
We're going to put some slats in there, right? How's that looking? Is that good? We've got these, these are some handrails right here. We don't, we don't want anybody to fall through, right? So we might want to put like some, uh, here we go. Now that's like a proper bridge, right? Yeah, it's a good looking bridge. Thank you very much. So let's use, let's use an example, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, uh, Matthew 5, 44, what, what does he say? He says, love your enemies. And what? Anybody remember the rest of the verse? Pray for those who persecute. Uh, how do you spell persecute, Kristen? One person. Yep. Perfect. Yep. See, I've, I've made the joke before that I graduated 298th of my high school class, and you guys didn't believe me. But it's true. I just proved it. All right. So let's think about this, right? We're building a bridge. Um, can we erase some of these things over here? You guys okay with that? Or uh, how about we do this? Oh, dang. Dude, this is going to be awesome. You guys are going to love this. Watch this. Dang it. <laughs> Boom. Page two. All right, let's erase some of these things. Uh, okay, so when Jesus says, love your enemies, his original audience would have heard what? Romans, right? Being occupied by Rome. That's good. So this is like a political enemy. Whatever. All right. What else could they have heard? Love your enemies? Samaritans? Right? Which, what would we say? That's like an ethnic? Enemy? But tax collectors? That's right. Pharisees, that's possible, right? They're tired of the man getting them down. Yep. Are any of these people at play when we read, love your enemies? No. Tax collectors. That's right, tax collectors. Right? But, but what? But what? We, um, we have some enemies, some difficult, difficult people. We want to take our money, right? That one might be the same. Uh, this would be like religious or maybe social. All right? So then let's do some biblical interpretation. So for us to love our enemies, who are we loving? We got any political en enemies? <laughs> Nobody wants to respond. Right? Okay. Russia? Let's do that. All right. China? For, for a long time, right, we had the, this war on terrorism, right, going on. What else we got? Let's do the obvious Republican versus Democrat. There we go. Depending on where you fall, right? Some of you are looking around, you're like, all right, who's a Democrat in here? Who's a Republican in here? 
Yeah. <laughs> what else? What else? We got, do we have some, some people like Pharisees around us? Maybe just difficult people to get along with at church or uh, legalism? What about at work? We have difficult people to get along with at work. You got somebody vying for your job, right? Right? And so even though the original audience would have heard this phrase, your enemies, differently than all of us here, are we able to figure out what it means that we should love those who oppose us and how to put it into practice? Does that make sense? What did you just do? Biblical interpretation. Give yourselves a big round of applause. You did it. All right. Four steps. You ready? Is that off now? Cool. So here's your simple tool, four steps. Four-step method. Some people call this inductive Bible study. Some people just say, uh, use abbreviate a section of it, and they call it OIA. Uh, but if you're taking notes, here's what we do. Here's the way we engage in this. Step number one. Uh, is called illumination. Do you remember how several weeks ago we said that the scriptures are inspired by God? That the Holy Spirit inspired biblical authors to write down the text. Well, we don't uh, get inspiration in the same way. But the promise from the scripture is that we do have the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Holy Spirit is tasked in part with helping God's people understand God's truth. And so the first step in studying the Bible is a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate or make known or make plain or to show us the truth that's contained in the scriptures. And so this is Psalm. 119.18, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. What's the prayer? God, would you help me to see what's there? Not only to see it, but it could be wondrous to me. Could I love it? And the good news of this prayer for illumination is when it comes to studying the Bible, you're not alone. God wants you to understand the scripture he wants you to understand it so much that that's part of the reason you as a believer in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. So you can open the Bible and ask for God's help to help you understand it. I love Charles Spurgeon says this, text, biblical texts will often refuse to reveal their treasures till you have opened them with the key of prayer. So the first step is let's pray. We ask God, God, by your spirit, could you help me understand what I am about to read? Step one. Step two is observation. Observation. So we look at the text and we say, what do I see? What's there? The main activity of observation is looking and reading and asking some questions. I think this step is best done with a, some paper and a pen so you can take some notes and guess what kind of questions we're asking? Who, what, where, when, and why comes next? Next step. So you guys got a little ahead of yourselves, right? So we ask these questions. Who? Who is the author? Who is the audience? Remember, the Bible's not 
to us. It is for us, but we're not the original audience, so we got to find out. Who are the characters in the passage? And so, in our Sermon on the Mount illustration, who are the characters in the passage? Jesus and the crowd, right? So, we ask who questions. We ask where questions. What's the setting? So, in the Sermon on the Mount, what's the setting? On the Mount. There you go. You were doing the work. We ask what questions. What's the genre? What's the literary style? What is the context? We've been talking about that. Remember, never read a Bible verse. So we say, what is the context? What's happening in the chapter? What's happening in this book? We ask, what's happening in the passage? If it's a narrative, what are the events that are happening? What's the action that's taking place? We ask, I love this one, what stands out? Observation, what stands out? What jumps off the page? Are there words or phrases that are repeated? Are there key phrases that seem to be important? Are there comparisons or contrasts happening in the passage? And we just start writing those things down. And then when? When does this happen in the narrative? If we're reading one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do we need to know? When in the story does this happen? If you're reading Luke 24 after the resurrection, are there some things that we need to know because it's after the resurrection? Yeah, right? So we need to know where it falls. And then remember, just like we talked about last week, where does this passage happen in redemptive history? Does this happen after God created all things? Does this happen before or after the fall when sin entered the world? Does this happen after God's called his people Israel? Does this happen after Jesus has come? Does death and resurrection have happened? Or is this describing the end of all things? Where does it fall in that storyline? And then we just start taking notes, observation, writing it down. Who, what, where, when? Can you do that? Yes, you can, right? Absolutely you can. Now, there is an obstacle. There are several obstacles to observation. Here's the one that's probably the most common. The most common obstacle to observation is familiarity. You heard the story too many times. You've read it too many times. It seems familiar. You think you know it. I love talking with my kids after kids' church on Sunday. They're like, oh, we talked about this story. I heard it before, right? I got it. I know it. And that's often the obstacle for us. It's too familiar. So back in February, um, uh, Kristen had parked her car in our driveway, but at the end of the driveway, and I was at the front near the house. And we were coming to church, actually, Sunday night. And I'm trying to get my kids in the car, and we're running late, and I'd backed out of my driveway, I don't know, 2,487 times in my life. And guess what? I just did what I do every single day. Got the kids in the car, put it in reverse, backed up, and I didn't look until I had run into Kristen's car. Backed right into it. Did, did a few thousand dollars worth of damage. I backed into it really, really good. But why? Because I'm familiar, right? I've been in my driveway before, backed out of it a ton of times. It's happened over and over and over again. And what I needed to do in that moment was slow down and look. Take my time. And that's what I neglected to do. So when we come to the text, we got to slow down and look. Observe. What do you see? 
Just because you've read it a ton, just because you've heard messages on it, still you got to slow down. What do you see? Step number two, observation, right? So we're praying for illumination. Second thing is we're doing observation. Number three, interpretation. Interpretation, we're asking this question, what does the text mean? What is my understanding of the author's meaning? Now, for some of you who are older, this makes total sense. For some of you who are under 30, because of the way you've been educated, I need to slow down and explain this one more time. Because the current way that we think about meaning is the reader creates meaning. I, I don't know, maybe for some of you, you're like older, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? That makes zero sense. I know it doesn't make any sense. But for some of us, we believe, because of the way we've been taught, that the meaning of any text, not just a biblical text, is what I take away from it, the impression that I get. The feeling that I have, my understanding of it. And I want you to know when we come to the scripture, that's not what we're doing. We're asking when Paul wrote Philippians to the church at Philippi, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what did Paul mean? What did the Holy Spirit mean there in that moment? I'm not a part of the equation. I'm doing this later trying to figure out what Paul meant. And sometimes that's hard. And so when we get to the interpretation step, that's what we're asking. What does it mean? Independent of me, what does it mean? We are, remember, creating that bridge between the two cliffs at this stage. And so you know what we do? We go back to our observations. And we ask why. Okay, so this is where it's set. This is the author this is the context. Why? Why do we have this? Why is this included in the scripture? Why did the author need to write this passage to these people at this particular time? Why did he think it's important? We're asking where are the arguments? How is it laid out? What connections are being made? All then to determine the author's main idea of the text. And so we go, if I had to write this in a sentence or two, what would I write down? How would I summarize the main idea? Here at Mercy Hill, we're pretty fanatical about this. In fact, if you're any of the guys that preach on Sunday mornings, we ask them four things. One of the four things is, is the main idea of the text the main idea of your sermon? If the main idea of the text is not the main idea of your sermon, you have to start over. And so we're not doing like, oh, I noticed this weird little detail about Jesus's, the hymn, like of the robe, and I'm going to preach like an entire sermon on this one little like detail. We don't do that here. Main idea of the text is the main idea of the sermon because that's good biblical interpretation. What's the main idea? Now, sometimes in this process, we run across hard passages. So I just want to give you Two things to help you with hard passages. Are you ready? Number one, use the scripture to interpret the scripture. All right? Use the scripture to interpret the scripture. So you start with a clear passage to help you understand things that are more difficult. This past week in my D group, uh, we read Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six is confusing 
Because there's sections and there's some language used that seems like once someone is saved, they could lose their salvation. And so we have to back up and we go, okay, what's around this passage? Does the context seem to indicate that that's what's going on here? And if you go back, what you see in Hebrews chapters 2, 3, 4, is that the writer of Hebrews is constantly quoting from Psalm 95 and begging people not to harden their hearts like the people of Israel had. And so that gives you a little clue. Okay, maybe he's not talking about losing your salvation. Maybe he's talking about this idea that we could shut ourselves off to God. And he's using this as an example. Hey, there are people who've walked away from the faith because they were so closed off that they refused to come to know God in the beginning. You've seen where that ends up. Don't do that. And then we can go to other clear passages. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says pretty clearly that once we believe the Holy Spirit was deposited in our lives, a seal guaranteeing our inheritance, that seems pretty clear. That when you believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your life as a guarantee. So you go, okay, no, I have a guarantee of my salvation from Ephesians chapter 1. And so I start to use the Bible to help me Understand a difficult passage. Does that make sense? All right. If you got questions about that, I just opened a can of worms. You can email me those questions. We can walk through the whole thing. Just using it as an example. All right. Use clear passages to help us understand unclear passages. Clear passages to help us understand difficult passages. The number two, and some of you are going to hate this one. Uh, sometimes you just got to be comfortable with some tension in the Bible. Just be comfortable with tension. Sometimes we're going to have to hold on to views that seem like they don't line up perfectly. For some of us, because your personality, you're going to be like, what's the big deal? I do that every day. For some of you who are like a C on the disc personality profile, you're going to be like, please stop. Everything has to make sense. I'm trying to color code my life right now, and I can't do it when I have some tension. But just because something doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense. I don't understand everything in the world. Anytime I sit down with one of these college students who are majoring in something at the Marietta campus of Kennesaw State, I'm like, bro, I don't understand anything that you're talking about. I don't understand quantum mechanics. I don't. But it doesn't mean that it's not true. And it doesn't mean that someone doesn't understand it. It just means that I don't understand it. That it doesn't make sense to me. There are times... In the 17, almost 18 years I've been married to Kristen where I don't understand the way her brain works, right? That doesn't mean that her logic doesn't make sense. It just means I don't get it. And probably there are four times as many examples in our marriage where Kristen goes, I don't understand what the heck is going on in your brain, right? None of this makes sense. When it comes to the scripture, we are dealing with deeply spiritual issues, the condition of our hearts, the deceitfulness of sin, our ability to connect with God, to know him and to belong to him whom we have never seen. Forgiveness, grace, compassion, and love, there are going to be times when we don't get the way all that works. And in the course of the scripture, we are dealing with the character of God, a spiritual being 
who is one God that exists in three persons, that is limitless in his power, limitless in his knowledge, that exists outside of space and time, that sees the beginning and the end at the same time, has never-ending wisdom and unfailing love. I will probably not understand some things about God. And so at times we have to be comfortable with tension. Realizing that just because it doesn't make sense to me does not mean that it doesn't make sense. Now, the most common obstacle to interpretation is isolation. Is my interpretation always right? No. And neither is yours. Now, with some practice and some help, we can get it right most of the time. But without other voices in our lives, we can lose track. And we can start to think crazy things about the Bible, especially if we're just only reading a single Bible verse and basing everything that we believe off a single verse. And so one of the ways we can avoid isolation is with some great resources. I've told you this before, get a solid study Bible. So a couple of suggestions. There are a lot of really good ones. I love and use the ESV Study Bible. You can buy a print edition. You can download the app on your phone. I think, I, I used to be $7. I think the price has gone up now. But it's a great resource. I use it all the time. And when you run across in trying to interpret the scripture something difficult, then you can consult a great study Bible. The NIV Zondervan Study Bible is a great one as well. And so if the NIV is your chosen translation, Man, you could grab that study Bible. I also love the, there's a seven arrows study Bible. It's aimed at um, younger, uh, probably high school, college. But what I love about it is it takes you through the steps of good biblical interpretation for everything. It's got seven arrows, seven questions to ask of every text. So it helps you with this process of interpreting the scripture. So get some good resources. Study Bible is a great step. Talk about it with other Christians. Belong in community. Look, sometimes we just swing and miss. And we need someone else to say, hold up, let's think about this. Are you sure about that? We have to have it. It's good for you. Listen, you want to be in a community of people that ask you hard questions like that. So you don't start believing some crazy stuff. So being a community of people will be like, hey, have you thought through that? And then finally, and this is going to sound a little self-serving, but I promise it helps come to church. This is what all the people who preach on Sunday mornings are trying to do for you. Good biblical interpretation. And so if you want to grow in it, here's some people doing it well. Does that make sense? The more you expose yourself to someone teaching you the Bible in a way that, help, that shows good biblical interpretation, the better you're going to get at it. So when we come to some hard passages, we're going to use a scripture to interpret the scripture. We're going to find a clear passage to help us understand a not clear passage. We're going to be comfortable with some tension. We're going to get some good resources. We're going to be in community we're going to be around people teaching the Bible well. Sound good? All right. Step number four, application. Illumination 
We're praying, asking God to help us understand it. We're observing, we're interpreting, and then last, we're applying. This is where we ask the question, how do I need to change? This is true, how do I apply this in my life? James chapter one, verse 22, James writes, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For when he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we don't want to walk away from just understanding it. We want to start to apply it. One of the questions to ask in this application stage is, is there a command that's already there? Right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Is there already a command in this text? So James 1 is a great example. What's the command already in the text? Be a doer. That's right. Be a doer. So when we get to the application stage for James chapter 1, what are we going to say? I need to put in practice what I see in the Scripture. God, could you help me? I think there's three levels that we can think about. This might be helpful for you when it comes to application. Number one is head. How do I need to change the way I think? Is there a way this text is calling me to think differently about myself, about other people, or about God? We can think about then the heart level. How does this change what I believe? Does this change what I believe about myself? what I believe about God? Is there a heart level sin that I need to repent of? Do I have patterns of greed or lust or jealousy? Is there something at the heart desire level that needs to change? And then hands, a doing step. Is there something that I need to do, a way that I need to obey? Or perhaps is there somebody that needs to hear this message to? Is there somebody I need to share this with? Actively go and share with a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or someone in my MC. What is this text calling me to put into practice? And sometimes this application step requires a measure of introspection. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why am I struggling with this? Why do I not want to obey this? What is it going on with me where I don't like this? The most common obstacle to application is willingness. Am I willing to be honest with myself? Am I willing to do something different? Am I willing to pray and ask God's help? When we get to application, the thing that will derail you the fastest is just a willingness to obey the scripture. All right, good? Some steps? All right, can we try it real quick? You guys ready? Everybody, everybody, uh, everybody ready? All right, let's try it. So you got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter two, verse one. All right, you guys see that? Can you see that text up there? You guys see it? All right, so what's the first thing we do? Step number one is illumination. So let's do that. Father, uh, as we look to your word, 
Could you, by your spirit, show us the truth? Help us to understand it. Amen. Now we do observation. So if you got it in front of you, what are some things we know? Let's write these down. What's the, what's the who? Who wrote Philippians? Anybody know? You can look it up in a study Bible, right? We already got one of those. Paul? Paul wrote it. Who's he writing it to? The church of Philippi. Anybody know anything about the church of Philippi? It's the first, first church in Europe. You can learn this from a study Bible. Uh, also in Philippi, it's a Roman colony, um, and they love being Romans. So um, they love it. All right. Who's he talking to? Maybe we should draw a heart there. Is that good? All right. Yeah. So the actors so far are Paul and the church, right? What about, uh, what about where? Uh, so we already talked about that he's writing this letter uh, to Philippi. Anybody know where he's writing the letter from? Prison. That's right. He's in prison. That's good. You think that shapes the way we understand what he's writing? Yeah, absolutely. Right. All right. What else we got? We got a win. Anybody know when? So probably late 40s, maybe early 50s AD. There's some disagreement about that. So let's, put, let's think about this in the storyline of Scripture then, right? So we're talking about late 40s to 50s AD. So this puts us how many years after Jesus' death and resurrection? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're talking about 10 to 15 years, right? Now, does that help you understand what's going on? This is pretty quick, right? After Jesus' death and resurrection. All right, what else? Uh, what about where does it fall in the storyline? We got creation over here, new creation over here, Jesus right in the middle. Where does it fall? Yeah, right here, right? So this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. That's good. All right, what else we got? Who? We got a What? What do you see in the passage? What stands out? Do you see any key phrases? <laughs> encouragement? Yeah, where we see that? Any encouragement right there? And then we got this phrase, in Christ. Oh, check this out. We got this, in Christ, Christ Jesus. What else do you see? We got some instructions in here, right? Have what? Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Humility, right? Right? Yep. And have this mind. This is the big one, right? Right in the middle. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what, what do you just do? Gave us some instructions, and then said, in fact, just follow the example of Jesus. Just be like Jesus. And then he tells us who Jesus is. Right? In the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. We found a human form. Jesus humbled himself. Right? Becoming obedient to the point of death, even what? Death on the cross. And then what? Therefore. God highly exalted him, gave him the name above every name. The name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue can, will confess that, what, that, who's Lord? 
Jesus Christ, right? To the glory of God the Father. So we got some what's there. Anything else? All right, there's more to do, but you get the idea, right? So then interpretation, how can we go back to interpretation in this text? We got instruction, we got the identity of Jesus, we got Jesus being exalted at the end. What do you think the main idea might be? It's Paul's writing this from prison to a church that needs encouragement. Yeah, how to be a good church, right? So we would say believers should conduct themselves in a certain way, right? With humility, counting others as significant, more significant than themselves, right? Now, why? Remember, that's the question interpretation. Why would they do that? Because that's what Jesus did. Right? And so then we would say, maybe we could say the main idea like this. We should embrace humility and a servant mindset because Jesus humbled himself for us and served us, right? And we could add by his death, right? Now, what do we just do? Biblical interpretation, right? Now, what's the application? Well, this one's easy, right? Because it's in the text, right? What should we do? Embrace humility and a servant mindset, right? Is this crazy? You guys seeing this in the text? Yeah? So we get the application. Now let's, maybe we start thinking, well, where am I going to apply this? You see this? And so how can I be humble at work? Or how can I be a servant in where? In my family or with my church or my neighbor's driving me insane and I want to punch him in the face. So I need some cul-de-sac humility, right? You see the way this works? Now, here's the thing. Can, can you do this? What do you need? Bible? Maybe a pen and some paper or an iPad? right? Willingness to look, slow down and ask some questions. And occasionally, you're going to need a study Bible. That's pretty awesome, right? Did we follow our rules from last week? Yeah. Did we just read a single Bible verse? No. Did we think that this was to us? No, we talked about the original audience, right? Did, did we um, read this in line with its genre, we didn't talk about that, but it's a letter, right, to a church? Yeah, we did that. Did we say that it all points to Jesus? Yes, we did. You got it? So this is a simple four-step tool to help you read and understand the Bible. 
It's called an inductive Bible study. Some people call it OIA. You can all do it. Make sense? Cool. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.